We all have many fixed assumptions, many beliefs that we've grown up with, we've inherited, we've created, whatever. And they are so fixed in our minds that we regard them as the truth. They're so fixed in our mind that we regard them as the truth. And one sign that we're living by assumptions is when we are crashing, arguing, fighting with reality. And it's just worth investigating. Suffering is the sign that there's a split separation. So one assumption that people have expressed, concerned about, is that we know what other people are thinking, or what other people are feeling, or what other people are thinking about us. And when we're thinking about life vows, often that comes up in our mind. What will others think? I want other people to think about me like this. I want to look good in their eyes. So it's worth investigating that particular assumption, that particular limiting belief. First, the science. The science is there are no brain circuits for discrete emotions. There's not an anger circuit. There's not a depression circuit. It's not as though the anger circuit gets triggered when something gets pushed and doesn't work like that. It's also the case that every research, that many research papers show that we do not accurately read emotion. That we see a facial expression on someone and at best we interpret it in a simplistic manner. She's angry. She's depressed. And try to encapsulate a whole complex range of experience in that word, anger, or depression, whatever. Every emotion is rich and textured. And nobody else knows what our experience is. We can't read minds. We can't experience what it's like in my mouth, in my shoulder. And if we could, poker players the world over, gamblers since the beginning of time, would become extremely proficient in that. And they would be, they didn't kill the whole game, it would be super wealthy. We have an assumption that we see somebody out there and we assume that we have some idea <clears throat> of what they're thinking, usually about us. And as we all know, we're always thinking about ourselves, not the other person, usually. So most of us 
live in a world of relative ignorance. A relative ignorance meaning that particular set of beliefs that we have, think is normal, think is usual. And we are comfortable with that belief set because that's all we know. When we first sit down to do zazen, we begin practicing, and we actually start feeling what is there instead of what we assume to be there. We actually begin to see the world not through our assumptions, but with a clear eye and a clear mind. It can be scary. It can be disorienting. It can be discombobulating. And many people get a glimpse of something that is outside of their frame of reference and they go running back into the comfort zone of their old lives. But as we practice and as we sit, we become more and more capable of feeling the whole range of feeling, the whole range of experience. And as we begin to realize that it is the range of our experience of this life is where the juice is, we actually want more. We don't want to go back to being small and frozen. In the trauma literature, they often talk about people having some kind of traumatic, aversive experience when they're young and begin to say, I don't want to feel that, and they begin to shrink their, what, their comfort zone, to go numb, to dissociate. And part of healing is to be comfortable feeling all of our feelings, our old body, with all the sensations that are there. Because we are filled with sensation. That's all we are, in a way. Tightness and looteness and heat and cold and pressure and weight and tingling and pulse and breath. The experience of sensation is part of what we call life. Now there is the experience of sensation, and then there is the interpretation of what we just experienced. Those are not the same. The interpretation often removes us from the experience. The interpretation often diminishes the experience in favor of kind of a rational picture. And we can question those, of course. So, as you know, we can think anything. We have the experience we have, and we can think anything about it. You know, we can think people are friendly when they're enemies. We can think people are failures when they're successes. We can think people are you know, good when they're bad. We can think people are, in situations, are disasters when actually they turn out to be blessings. We can think anything. We don't have to believe our thoughts. 
Now, how is this relevant, relevant to vows? Because often people have an experience in their being, an experience of excitement, experience of interest, experience of hope, and experience. And then, because of their particular conditioning, they clamp over a whole interpretation about it and get themselves confused. To look at the experience is how we wake up. And to realize the malleability of our interpretations, the malleability of our view, is how we actually become liberated. We're never stuck. We just happen to believe a particular view. And we can, without trying to negate it, argue with it, anything, we just simply examine of, of each view and say, is that true? Is that really true? My heart of hearts, my experience, is that true? And then things that are not true melt disappear by themselves. And that waking up to what is true is part of what we mean by liberation, is part of what we mean by vow. Now, when we're not anchored in experience and we're instead caught by our interpretation by our view, we look at the world, and instead of just seeing the world as it is, colors, movement, sounds, lights, neutral, our mind comes in and looks at someone, for example, interprets whatever they see as something that creates anxiety, and then we think we know what they're thinking, we think we know what they're judging, and then we become scared and anxious of what we think we know they're judging. And we scare ourselves. We scare ourselves. We project things onto the world, and we scare ourselves. So this process of vows is not looking at the projected world with all of its vagaries, texture, but rather it is looking at the heart, at our intimate experience. All our experience is intimate. You can't have a more intimate experience. It's all equally close. And it's not about, I will make a vow which will look good in other people's eyes or be what is expected in other people's minds, but giving life to the inherent goodness that is in each person. And I say inherent goodness. And 
and quibble about the word good, but the inherent generosity, the inherent gift of this life. Because this life is a gift, because this life is a generous unfolding of the universe, I call it good, creative, right at the root. So we're talking about vows, and we think, okay, what is, in my experience of my own life, the best, the most important, the happiest, the most satisfying, the least stressful thing I feel and want to do? What do I feel is good for me and good for others? And that's what I'm calling a vow. That's the heart's aspiration. It's not, there is a place for this part. You know, I vow to go to medical school and become a doctor. And da, 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 da. There's a place for that, of course. But that is not the primary vow. The primary vow is the goodness, the kindness, the loving compassion that is in our heart right now. So if you look at the Shrine of Vows, or if people send in vows for the ceremony on Sunday, people say, I vow to bring goodness into the world, I vow to love, I vow to be awake, I vow to help others, I vow to walk the path, I vow to know truth, I vow to be wise, I vow to be educated. And these are not the how, these are not, but they're the, the vow. So I'm kind of going over and over this so that each person can have confidence and can find a place of clarity in their own heart. And basically, you know, this is what Zazen is. Zazen is we sit down and we experience. We experience. We feel deeply without conclusions. Now, when we are doing that practice of feeling deeply without conclusions, it is a place of entrustment, a place of trust. And what are we trusting? Well, there's only a couple of things we can trust. One, we can trust the fundamental truth that everything is flowing. everything. And secondly, we can trust the fundamental truth that moment to moment to moment we have an experience. That's all. So let's think about this in terms of meeting pain. Shoulder pain, back pain, the ache in the heart when we see other people suffering, if they are. Because our vow has to include that too. So now, listen carefully. Imagine 
that you walk home and there is a pig in your bedroom. Pig is there. And you have the opportunity of meeting that pig. You might pet it or cuddle it or feed it or take it for a walk or ride it or whatever. But the pig is there. Now, if the mind comes in and says, I don't want the pig there, that is about the future. Because the reality is the pig is here and we're now saying, I would prefer not to have that pig and that's a future event. And so we're no longer actually meeting the pig. We now have in our mind a future absence of a pig. And we have stepped away from the reality of petting the pig into the fantasy of no pig. <laughs> Hope that's clear. The same thing is true with our pain. We have knee pain, shoulder pain, back pain, head pain, heart pain, pain in our chest. We have pain, and in that moment, we can meet the pain directly. But if we meet the pain without actually meeting it, instead we have this overlay of, I wish it were not there, I wish something else were happening. I wish it were the future. We're no longer in contact with reality. Instead, we have had an experience of you know, stabbing pain in your shoulder. And rather than stay with the experience of the pain, immediately the mind goes to interpretation and fantasy. I wish in this moment there was no pain. But in this moment, there's pain. I wish in this moment there was no pig, but in this moment, there's a pig. And so we immediately stop being 100% engaged with reality and begin shooting off into the future, which is seconds, minutes, hours ahead of time. This process of Zazen is about staying directly with the experience without the fantasy of, I wish I didn't experience what I experience. Now, guess what? We have the capacity to experience everything we experience. By definition, we're already experiencing it. We have the capacity to bear everything we're already bearing. And we know it's going to flow. It's going to change. <clears throat> that it's not a thing, but rather it's a flowing experience, moment to moment to moment. It is that intimate connection with our own body and life. That intimate connection is how we stay grounded with our intimate vow. We can't find the vow just by spinning around in our head thinking, 
what do I like, what do I like, what do I like, what do I want to do, what do I want to become. It's removed from this primary goodness. There's a place for thinking, of course, but that's, this is not it. So when we have a, in touch with our vow, I want to be loving, I want to be kind, I want to, to grow the qualities of, of connection and consideration, and we are present with our experience, those two things give us a foundation to meet anything with. Let's leave that there for a moment. Now, we're modern people. And we, certainly most of us, grew up in a materialistic society. Have that attitude of, what good is it? What's it for? How much does it cost? I don't have much time, but how can I maximize my time? We grew up with an attitude of having and getting and holding or getting rid of. But that materialistic attitude is not the attitude of vows. It's not about, I will touch this vow to see what I get out of it. I will touch this vow and I'll weigh how much energy and effort it's going to take me to manifest. We are alive because we're alive. This question of vow has to be answered on the level of breath. The purpose of this breath is not for the future. Anybody who's been underwater for a while knows that it's the breath that you're breathing that counts. The purpose of each breath is each breath. We're not breathing for tomorrow. We're breathing for right now. Breathing for right now. The only time there is. This breath. Our vows as we express them, as we understand the texture of them, have to also be alive and be expressed in that same truth of this moment that breath is. In a way, we could say it's a very selfish thing. But selfish, to live according to vow is not selfish. Because you'll see, vows are always emerging, giving, connecting. I think selfishness is trying to get other people to live according to my ideas, how I want them to. So, we've got experience, we have vow, we have this, this intimacy of breath, Let's talk about time. As I've said many times, and everybody else has probably said it, the only time we can have any experience is now. 
We can't raise our arm right now, five minutes ago. We can't raise our arm right now, five minutes in the future. We can only raise our arm right now. We can only open our mouth right now. And right now, and right now, and right now. We create time with our brain, our mind, putting things together and predicting and anticipating and all those things. But we can only experience now and now. And that now is always flowing. And that now has no length. Because if we say it's really now, it has no beginning, middle, or end. It's just now. So it's, in a way, timeless. And always flowing. I always think about it like a computer screen. A computer screen is totally still and flat, and yet on that still, flat screen is all kinds of life and movement without going anywhere. We create time. And we can go into that whole thing at some point. But the time to manifest our deep vows, our life's intention is now. And now. And now. So when we have some contact with what's really important and we want to give life to it, it has to be done now. And now, and now, and now, and not some intention to do it in 2021. Because now has no date. Now let's suppose, look at this a different way. that what I'm calling these primary vows are exigent in your heart. They are there. You can discover them. You open it up and you say, what, what, what's, you know, what, what, what do I want? What do I want to offer? What do I want to, the connecting vows? Of course, we're always connected. You can't be not connected, only in your mind. So the vows are, of course, connecting. But suppose that we look at this and we said these vows have always been there. The fact that you are alive, the fact that you are being created, the fact that you have a gift, and the fact that you have, have these vows as part of your being. And perhaps those vows have been operable in there through all of the sickness and health and ups and downs and failures and successes of your life. Perhaps you've always lived your vow. We just don't recognize it. Perhaps all of those failures and all of that inadequacy is simply a manifestation of the vow so we learn, so we become larger, so we become wise, that perhaps 
There is something moving through us that is bigger and more uh, essential than what our evaluative brain is capable of pinning down. Perhaps at the level of entrustment and trust that the universe, which has given us life in this moment, is actually doing okay with us. And our brain, our mind, just gets a little confused. So let's look at it a different way. Suppose that you're a grim, unhappy, traumatized grump who's a misanthrope and a misogynist and a nincompoop. You still can hold your vow. The vow is still there, just covered over with all this junk. The vow is not dependent upon whether we happen to be dressed up or dressed down that particular day or young or old, or sick or healthy. We still have these inchoate movements of the heart, and we can endeavor to express them moment to moment to moment, regardless of where we are, who we are, what we are. As Jomon mentioned, Jizo, the vow of Jizo, is even if there is a spark, a tiny spark of light, a mote of dust in the heart, that vow can grow. That vow can be blown into a flame and a conflagration. So, now, that view also recognizes the timelessness of this moment. And we create time, our mind anticipates things, our mind has memories of what's going to happen, what did happen, it's all happening right now. We create time. But the vows that we have at our heart are timeless. And how they manifest in some mysterious way in the timeless nature of reality actually can't even be understood by our little bee, shrimp-like brain. I often think about we're, we're like these little fleas trying to understand the cosmos. You know, if you look at fleas here, or bed bugs, or whatever you happen to have, and the size of their cognitive faculties, and they're trying to understand this earth, impossible. They can only understand what their cognitive faculties give them the capability of understanding, their information processing system. I've gotten sidetracked. So... We can only, we can, give li- we can give life to vow right now. Right now. Now, how many poor people did Mother Teresa have to help before she became the Mother Teresa? How many 
classes and rituals and meditation did the Dalai Lama have to do in order to become the Dalai Lama? Or if we think about gathering together all of the ingredients for a meal, and we have to do all the shopping and driving, and we come in and we store them, and we bring them all into the kitchen, and we cook them and we prepare them, and we take the intelligence to do all that, and little by little by little by little by little by little by little, each shake of the salt pepper, each raise of the knife, contributes to the banquet. Contributes to making a great chef. Well, we're just the same. With each turning of our attention towards our heart's vows, each turning of our attention, little by little by little, we are unfolding, creating, growing, transforming. Each failure, each success. So if we look at every saint, they've got a past. And every criminal has got a future. So we can't, it's not helpful to try to compare my vow to the Dalai Lama's, for example. They're just incomparable. Incomparable. I have no idea what the Dalai Lama's experience is. But I do know in the timeless moment, little bit by little bit by little bit, turning our attention to what is most important makes a difference. And it may be that the expression of my vow is sweeping the floor, taking in feral cats, feeding the birds, doing the dishes. We don't know. We can't judge. Because the world is calling us to the situation that we are in right here, right now. This is where the world is calling us. This is the world that is calling us. This world, right here, right now, it's not some big extravagant world fair thing, it's somewhere else, some other time, it's this world. And so what is this world asking for you, how is this world asking for you to express your vows, your heart's aspiration? This world, sitting in this room, sitting in those rooms, with those dishes, with this room, all flowing through, all flowing through. You cannot judge. And so from this vantage point, we awaken ourselves to our vow, and then we say, it's impossible to know which are the important moments, because they're all important. Every failure is important. Every success is important. Every moment is important. Because it's life, 
giving life. And in that life, we give life to our vows. It is true that there are axial moments in, in our life. You know, we come up against a, a brick wall and we have to go left or right. That's true. It is true that there are life and death decisions that people we have to make. That we have to make them sometimes very quickly. But, but you know, we're always making the best choice possible. Always, always, because there is a vow inside of us that is moving. And then given what we're thinking and given our responsibility and our state of mind and our circumstances and our education, <clears throat> that vow expresses itself in the best way it can in that moment and in this moment. And in this moment, in hindsight, we may look, you know, may look confused. That's true. And it may be that we have to pay for, pay some debts for some of the things that we did. But the intention at the core, we're innocent. All there is is this moment and this vow. And we do the best we can do. This moment and this vow. And we're not in charge of the outcome. All we can do is this moment and this vow doing the best we can do in this moment. And the outcome is not up to us. So we can be at ease. You know, you may have to go to jail for some of the things you did, but you still can be at ease. You can still live with no guilt. There are consequences for things, of course. But the, the internal burden gets lighter and lighter and lighter and lighter. The internal conflict gets lighter and lighter and lighter. So we can relax and pay attention. We will do the best we can do. We have that vow already in our heart. We just get confused. And the world is going to give us all kinds of situations to let us practice our particular vow. You know, you have a vow to love people. Well, immediately people who, who are unlovable come forward and you get to practice. You have a vow to become educated. Immediately you fail at something so that you have to rise to the occasion and become educated to succeed. You have a vow to, to keep, keep walking on the path of practice, and immediately you stumble and fall and go into a pit, and you have to have to, to dig out. The world will give you exactly what you need to fulfill your vows. Unfortunately, it's a little scary sometimes, because if we make a, a clear vow, we're going to need, we're going, we're going to be given what we need to bring that alive. So the deep vow of life is living. The deep vow of life is remembering that life, that vow. And then the deep vow of life is moment to moment expressing 
that vow. And everybody is 100% capable. And in a way, at the level I'm talking about, it is impossible to fail. The level I'm talking about, it's impossible to fail. And so we can trust. We can entrust. We can entrust ourselves to the mystery of what is going on that's beyond our little information processing system. <clears throat> we can trust ourselves that there is some movement in the universe that we are flotsam and jetsam, or maybe not such a good description, that we are floating on the waves of the universe. And we can trust. So please, have deep confidence. Have deep trust. Not in your mind, but in that which is, sustains you, which breathes you, which lives you. <clears throat>